right, welcome to the Sweet Science of Fighting podcast. Today we have Wiz Elliott. Welcome, Wiz. Thanks, sir. No, thank you for coming on. This would be a, a very interesting podcast, I think, for a lot of the listeners in the striking arts today. I mean, you've collected a shit ton of data. You've got your own boxing, I guess, tracker, you could call a punch tracker sensor that does a lot of good things. So maybe provide a brief background about yourself and we'll go into some of, I guess, the findings you have and some data. Yeah, so my name is Wes Elliott, and I own a technology company called Strike Tech. And um, what we've done is built sensors that uh, essentially track the performance of boxers. It goes on the wrist. We've been doing it. I think my first set sensor development was in 2011. So we've been doing it for quite some time, collecting data um, from you know all different types of athletes, kickboxers, um, MMA fighters, boxers, uh, and so you know I kind of developed a consumer product that uses a mobile app, but we also have a side product that uses our desktop um, app. And that one's kind of more intricate in, in the capabilities of what we can measure. So uh, yeah, just been collecting data and, and in the game for a while. Yeah, and, uh, we're going to share some of that on this podcast too. But punching trackers are an interesting one. There's a, there's a lot of different ones on the market. What's, the, what's one of the main issues with a lot of punching trackers now, I mean, obviously a lot of them try and track the different kinds of punches. They give different values, force, power, velocity, etc. Is there an accuracy issue with, with many different trackers? Can someone rely on them to track their training? Yeah, I mean, they can be reliable. I, there's a lot of issues that come up along the way. Um, the biggest one that we ran into originally was Bluetooth. Uh, yeah, I know a lot of these other sensors are using BLE and there's only so much throughput rate that you can get through a BLE, you know, transmission. So, um, you know, up until recently there's BLE 5.0, which allows us to transmit more data across. Um, but before that we were just using standard Bluetooth connection, which only Androids have. Mm. Uh, but that was mainly because if we strip away too much of the data that we collect, at that impact phase, you know, it just becomes a bit more inaccurate uh, or inconsistent, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a number of problems uh, that we've had to address along the way, but I, I think that, um, I think that what we have right now is a good solution. It just becomes a lot of it rests on the user, right? Because they have to train consistently with the right, you know, the same products, I guess, the same gloves, the same bag, if they're really wanting to get a good foundation or a baseline reading, mm -hmm. um, you know, but we can get into, we can get into that. I know that uh, I've listened to a couple of other podcasts that you've had. Um, and, and there's a lot of, you know, talk about the inconsistencies that come with the different types of bags and gloves and padding and stuff like that. So yeah, it's quite interesting. To yeah. Do, maybe we'll, we'll quickly dive into that before we get into some of that data, but obviously the, one of the popular things, the power cube is probably the most mainstream one that, that maybe most people would recognize listening to this. And if you don't recognize it, then you probably recognize what it looks like. I mean, you see um, all sorts of, I mean, Karate Combat was doing a lot with it. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson holding the a big foam pad and having people kick it. Um, people will talk about Francis Ngannou hitting the power cube and having the, the heaviest punch, basically. Well, yeah, exactly. So do I yeah, even dive into, well, you know, as the power cube actually is that accurately testing punching force um well it's measuring joules right and so that's a power measurement and i don't really know i don't for me you know pounds of force is just the the basic you know power number for me for force right um now they they measure in newtons and then pounds of force is just kind of like a, a different I guess, type of reading. But if you stand on a, uh, on a bathroom scale, right, you're, you're exerting pounds of force on that bathroom mm -hmm. scale. And so I think it becomes a little bit easier for the user as well, whenever there's numbers that they can easily recognize, you know, it's like getting in your car and yeah. going, you know, a certain speed limit at a miles per hour, if it's kilometers per hour, then, you know, around here, they wouldn't know <laughs> how fast they're going, right? So, um, you know, the, the power cube, I, I haven't tested it. I've seen a lot of data on it. I'm actually glad that there's other products that are making some moves because for the longest time, when we started this product uh, in 2011, now the sensor was, a, it was like the size of a pager, right? I mean, it was way too 
uh, you know, it was way too, it was big enough for us to use and collect, right, data on. I don't know that it was a consumer product back then. Um, and it wasn't until 2000 and I believe 15 when we got it small enough to, to be able to, you know, make it to where it's not as uncomfortable in the wrist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, back then it was just, we were the only ones kind of doing it and it was hard to find people that, you know, were, were part of this industry and to make this industry grow because I think that it's going to require, you know, other products to kind of help grow this industry as well and the interest in the industry. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I think, I mean, yeah, devices like PowerCube are definitely growing the interest there. How does, uh, how does how it's mounted affect the output? Obviously you have some, I think some videos of Wonderboy holding it against his leg, taking readings, others where it's mounted on a solid beam. Um, how does that change readings typically? So when you have like a, a, a force plate inside of the bag, uh, depending on the angle of the actual force plate, if you're hitting it straight on, or if it's angled, like if it's on his leg and it's angled just a bit, you know, that force plate is driven off of a cylinder. And so basically you're just compressing the cylinder in order to get your reading of, mm. you know, your measurement of pounds of force, uh, or joules in this case. And so, you know, it just depends on the, the foam, the density of the foam. And, and also is that foam, you know, getting softer mm. along the way? Right. Um, I don't know the layers of that particular cube, but I don't, I think it's a, it's a starting point. I don't know how accurate it is. Um, but being on a stationary target probably helps it out a lot. Yeah. Nice. And then obviously you've, you've gone the extra mile. You've got the strike tech boxing sensors, ones that are essentially strapped to your, your wrist or your glove, and you're able to measure a lot of different variables that, I mean, devices like power cubes cannot, and a lot of different variables, uh, I guess more than what other boxing sensors can measure as well, which is, I really like this. So do you want to maybe dive into, I mean, you can share your screen now with some of the data, or we can just talk through some of it initially, but you've clicked so much damn data from elite fighters, strikers, and you've broken down essentially the phase of a punch to the point where you can almost decipher what is a good punch, what is a bad punch, just by looking at some lines, which is pretty crazy. Um, and maybe just go into some details of, okay, what actually makes a good punch or even a hard punch or a fast punch? Yeah. So let's, let's dive into that first before we get into the data and kind of break down those different yeah. phases. Right. Um, I mean, the most important phase is the approach. Right. And then I, I believe we were speaking before in the past that, you know, someone that has a better reaction time, will start out with a higher acceleration, initial acceleration, which will allow them to gradually accelerate faster to the back, mm -hmm. right? Um, you guys have talked about the double peak and, you know, there's a lot of different variables when it comes to measuring that as well. Um, you don't know if it's a psychological issue, right? Um, I know that we've, we've seen a lot of this deceleration right before impact and we're able to, um, chat with the athlete and ask them about any injuries to their hands. And it's either a psychological thing where they've hurt their hands in the past. And so sometimes whenever, like if the bag is really, really heavy bag, you know, cause we've been in gyms where they, they use the 300 pound bags. It's just, they're massive and they're crazy. Right. Um, or their wrists are bothering them something, you know, from grappling or, or something like that. But, uh, yeah, the, the acceleration phase, the approach phase, uh, to the punch or to the, to the impact is probably the, the most important part of the punch. Um, and, and it's really kind of where you're starting that acceleration, right? Someone that starts lower, obviously they're going to have a harder time to accelerate mm -hmm. to a point to where it makes a difference, right? As far as when the impact goes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know working reaction time is, is probably one of the key components to, you know, any fighter that should be, you know, wants to box or, or train at least. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of variables when it comes <laughs> to the, you know, so I, I don't want to, I'm trying to make it like easy to understand yeah. without getting, you know, too, too muddy in the waters there, but. Um, no, it makes sense though. Yeah. It's, it makes yeah. sense what you're saying there around, around the initial acceleration. I think, I think most people listening will will be able to understand that idea of 
be able to accelerate faster initially. You got less room to make up against coming to impact. But should we should we break down some of the other phases as well after that? Yeah. So and, and another thing is um, technique, right? If you start seeing you know in some of our approach, you know the acceleration curves, it'll be a little bit wavy, right? And so we essentially try to break down the approach into three phases. And we try to make sure that, you know, from zero G's to like a third of the way in, that the acceleration, the rate of climb of the acceleration is, is still in the, in the positive mm -hmm. motion, right? Um, because there are a lot of times when it starts, you know, when you have that heel, there's a couple of heels, you know, it's not just a double peak, but it's, uh, it, it also depends on the technique of that person, right? Are they twisting their wrist as they're punching um, or are they kind of just more rigid? And, and then the hook is a whole nother story, right? I mean, trying to get a smooth acceleration through a hook is a, I think a lot of it's tech, you know, technique, but also psychological, you know, you've got to make effort into not slowing down into rotating. Interesting. Right. I mean, it's, it's a timing, it's a timing thing for sure. Nice. So, you know, and, and then once you make impact, um, you know, you have peak impact and then you have a peak, you know, uh, deceleration, a change of rate and acceleration. Um, and then you have the area under the curve, which is, you know, the impulse of the punch. And we kind of do a calculation uh, for both of those. And, you know, just over the years of having this database, we've kind of um, estimate an effective mass of that person. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's other variables in it, like um, technique. Right. If, if their rotation is correct along the way um, and, and those criteria are basically set by, you know, athletes that have really good technique. Right. And we kind of and I don't know that it's always technique that makes the biggest difference because there are some athletes that, you know, don't they don't look that pretty when they're <laughs> punching, but they still hit hard. Right. They're still fast. They still hit hard. They've kind of adapted to what they you know, what their technique is. Um, so, I mean, once, once they hit the bag, um, depending on, you know, the type of bag that they're hitting, right? If you hit a pillow, that, that area underneath the curve is going to be longer, but your peak, you know, your peak is not going to be nearly as high. Um, but if you hit a wall, right, you're going to have a short <laughs> area underneath, you know, the curve and then a, a high peak. So, you know, there's a lot of different variables when it comes into to, to come into play during the, the impact point. Um, but basically, in order to get a high force punch, you have to hit the bag fast or the opponent, whatever it is, and you have to follow through. Right. And so depending on, you know, I, I've, I've had some data that I included the extension of the person's punch. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's huge because. I know that we were um, when we were doing this for Directv. Directv had a, a, a boxing venue a long time ago called. It started out as um, Big uh, Bare Knuckle Boxing (BKB), mm -hmm. and then they went into uh, Big Knockout Boxing, right? And I know that we had stats that came up on the screen. I think back then we went by like Hit Chip or something, um, but we had stats that came up on the screen. And I remember this one punch distinctly because there were people that were kind of questioning it questioning the punch and it was when a fighter was moving into another fighter. And so he jammed his punch. He, you know, he wasn't able to accelerate for his full, yeah. you know, extension of his punch. And so we met him about halfway and the force was still high, but the speed was low. Mm. And that's kind of counterintuitive of what you would think would make a high force punch. Right. But you're not taking into consideration that that other, this, this, you know, object is moving towards mm -hmm. you. Right. So it might have jammed up your punch, but it moved towards you and helped you with that, you know, impact. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's been interesting to kind of look at. I, you know what? We have so much data that, you know, I kind of listen to everybody's podcast, talk about the research papers. You know, I, I want to get more involved in that because I think that it would be some interesting, you know, findings from the data for sure. Yeah, 100%. If anyone's... Maybe listen to some of these terms like effective mass, double peak, muscle activation, etc. If, if after this you go listen to Seth Linetsky on the Sweet Tarts Funny Podcast, he is, I guess you could say, one of the pioneers in that space. And uh, we actually dive through all of that in that podcast too. And he, 
he's a bit of a, a big name in the space regarding that. But uh, when you talk about when you talk about follow through in a punch, just for visualization purposes, is that like when when someone tells you to punch through the bag or through the pads versus just kind of hitting it? Yeah, that would be that would be considered follow through. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because there's, there's also like in Taekwondo and karate, they teach that yeah, snap point, that right? point fighting. Right. And I've always, I was always told that, um, you know, it, it's that snap that generates power, but it doesn't, right. I mean, you, you have to follow through on the back. You have to follow through on anything if you're going to, uh, you know, affect that object. Right. Um, and essentially when, when we're measuring force, that's, that's the whole point of it, right. Is we want to measure damage to the object. Um, or the person. Uh, it's not just about how much you can generate as a boxer. It's about how much damage you can put into, you know, that bag or that person. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whenever we're kind of taking a look at all of these different aspects along the way of a punch, that's kind of the, the most important thing for us is to, you know, we want to measure damage done. Nice. I was actually looking at some of the data you sent over the, the UFC uh, comparisons you did. And I was looking at uh, average force on the side. I don't know if how if it's significantly different or not, but average force, I don't know. Can I say their names? I guess we're going to have it on the screen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So so Mickey Gall had the highest average punch force out of this cohort, um, but he had – I was trying to look at some of this, the uh, impact durations as well. So that impact duration would be essentially the follow-through, correct? And he had he That's had right. one of yeah. the higher, I guess, follow through durations too. So he mm -hmm. was able to obviously he had obviously had more time to impart that force on the opponent. Would that be a correct assumption? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Whenever we did that study at the uh, UFC summit, um, we've worked for them a couple of times in the in the UFC PI. It, it it's really important. I think Seth mentioned this as well, but it's it's really important that the the boxers that are training that they put effort into it right because i remember that day that there was a day that we went in there it seemed like some of them put more effort than the other ones right um tiago santos he you could tell when he started cracking on the bag it seems like the whole boxing rack was just shaking right i mean it was, he was putting some serious power into it um and so Mickey Gall, you know, he, he just at that time, he was, you know, he, he was being very technical and he was striking hard on the back. He was trying to put effort into it. And I think that's, you know, if, if we had like a, a routine for them, you know, weekly or daily or whatever that we could put them through, you know, I think we would see a huge difference in um, the data. Right. And I know that Mickey Gall's a, you know, decent striker, but he's a jujitsu guy. Mm -hmm. Right. Um and Jimmy Rivera has some huge numbers as well. Um, but he, you know, he's a little, he's a stout little guy, right? I mean, he's just really dense and he's just, he's got a lot of rotation that he puts into his punch. Yeah. Uh, actually, there's, before I jump more into that title, we actually have a question on, on the live YouTube here. Someone was asking CTE stare. That's <laughs> a funny name. Uh, would, would punching the heavy bag hard as it's swinging back like you mentioned with someone walking in, be better for training effective mass than punching a stationary heavy bag. So when they say swinging back, are they hitting it when it's swinging yeah, back? I think because so. you're not going to get a lot of effective mass, right? Through the bag if it's moving away from uh, so it. Swing, um, uh, sorry, swinging back towards them, I think. Right. Swinging back towards you will help you generate more power. Um, it just depends on when it comes to that, it depends on the, the ounce of the gloves that you're training with and the strength of your wrist. Mm. Right. I mean, or elbow, like the entire, you know, chain. Right. I mean, and you want to make sure that whenever they're making impact that they're not, you know, they don't have to be fully extended, but you want to be close to full extension. Right. Probably, you know, 80 percent of that so that the other 20 percent you're driving through the bag. But yes, uh, you know, having a bag that's pulling back into you is a good way to, you know, start strengthening that chain. Nice, nice. And to answer your second question there about what routine would be good for increasing punching power, you can go to the Sweet Science of Fighting Underground. There is all the training programs in there. The striking dominate the ring, plus the whole year's striking programming is in there. And Joshua also chimed in, uh, a favorite guest on here. Um, 
they have definitely seen technique a big fact as a big factor in the lab for punching speed and power. But I also wanted to, uh, around that Mickey Goal one, obviously with the highest thing, he has some of the lowest average uh, arm extension in that. But he's he's a long limbed individual, so yeah, what happens yeah. there basically? Well, it depends on the type of punch that they're yeah. throwing, right? Um, if they're if they're throwing hooks and they're standing gotcha. close to the bag, yeah, right. If the bag's moving into them. Um, I think there was a, there was a few bags, a few different bags there that day, and they're all, you know, relatively the same, but some of them get punched on a lot more than the others. Mm -hmm. Right. And it also depends on the height of the person, um, um, where they're striking in the bag, because, you know, if they're hanging low and it's a tall person, I remember, um, Tiago, I go back to him because the bag moved a lot Mm. when he struck it and it, it appeared as if he was putting a lot of force into it, which he does, but it was also higher up on the bag where it was easier to move it and make it, you know, create this huge, you know, display of, of strength. But, um, if it would have been lower on the bag or midway through it, it would have been a little different. I'm sure. Right. It wouldn't have moved around as much. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done on studying what actually, you know, the differences are between, you know, why is this person, you know, have a higher, you know, force, with a lower extension, mm. what's their speed look like? What's their acceleration? Um, what's their rate of climb in their acceleration? Right. So, you know, that, that's one thing that we need. We're doing more a deeper dive into as well. And now that AI has kind of come along, along oh, ways, yeah. we're we're working with that, and it's helping out tremendously. Yeah, um, going through because there's just so much data to go through. Yeah, dude, the stuff you sent me is uh, another level. <laughs> there's there's so much so much in there. Well, that data is, you know, so essentially whenever we, when, when, when the sensors are running, um, it's measuring a lot of data, right? And so, but it's all raw data. It's just all acceleration numbers, gyros. It's, it, um, we have two accelerometers on there. We have a high G and we have a low G and then we have one gyro. Um, and the amount of data that comes through those things is a lot. And so what we would do at first is we would store all of that data, but it would take up a lot of space on the phone. And so we would have it uh, transmit to the, to the server, to the cloud server in between rounds, you know, so that helped us kind of ship out a bunch of devices to professional athletes. And as they're training with their coach, right, we could have all of this data. And then that way, if we, we realize that some of our algorithms might be off a bit, we can go back and adjust it and rerun all of that data. Um, so yeah, this, you know, converted data in the, in the drive that I showed you is, I mean, for me, when I look at it, I'm like, it's just simple, (laughs) right? Uh, because there's so much that you can extrapolate from, from the raw data, especially. Yeah. I know you sent me some, some bare knuckle boxing summary as well. Do you see a difference in punching forces, speeds, anything like that between bare knuckle versus with gloves? Yeah. So, um, I, I think it was Joe Rogan that, that said that people, you know, don't quite hit as hard when it comes to, you just said that actually on the latest podcast again, Did it really? With Eddie Bravo. um, it, I, I, I understand what he's trying to say when he says it, because essentially if, if you have a bare hand, you, you know, psychologically, you're not going to want to punch as hard. Mm-hmm. What you have to take into account are a couple of things. One is, they're wrapping their wrist, yeah. right? So they're they're wrapping their wrist and the top of their hand. So they're not worried as much about breaking it. But what about the adrenaline that's going through them? If they have an open opportunity to punch someone, they're not pulling punches. Plus there's animals. Right? There's absolutely animals in that yeah. organization. <laughs> right. And, and so we we ran a test um, where we built this big cylinder. This this We made it like a punching arm, right? And we put a glove on the end of it. And then we put a, a, a load cell or force plate at the other end and we would put different gloves on it. And uh, the, the MMA gloves, it was like 150 like PSI in the actual cylinder. It was striking around uh, 800 pounds of force on this load plate. Whereas the boxing glove was around like upper 500s. Mm. So there was a huge difference just on that small amount of PSI in the, in the cylinder that we had, but what we were able to do is get it consistent, right? Cause that cylinder, whenever you're, whenever a boxer is training, they 
it might seem like the data is inconsistent, but their speed, you know, isn't always going to be the same, right? There, there's so much fluctuation in their actual speed of their punches. Um, and so we, when we started kind of dialing everything in, uh oh, I think I lost no, you there. You're good. But when we started, when we st when we started dialing everything in, um, it, it was about getting this consistency through this punching piston, right? And then we set up different, you know a lot of different fixtures in the labs that we were set up so that it was always the same thing every single time. It wasn't, you know, we didn't have so many variables with a, a person punching. Uh, and then we would just run the, you know, process on the actual people. We'd have, you know, tons of different types of people come in, um, not just always professionals because mm. sometimes that skews your, your results as well. I hope you're enjoying the chat so far. Before we get back to that, I just want to let you know that Sweet Science of Fighting is more than just a podcast. We have a full training app with strength conditioning programs for strikers, grapplers, and MMA athletes. So you don't have to think about what you're doing and you're getting access to the latest scientific methods to improve combat sports performance. We have programs specifically for judo, for jujitsu, for wrestling, MMA, boxing, Muay Thai is coming soon. All these things are going to be in the training app. We also have a private community where some of the coaches that have been on the podcast are in there to help you with any training questions and any performance questions you have. For example, Andrew Usher and Casper DeVitt. We also have some online courses within the training app. They cover strength, conditioning, mental skills, and weight cutting. And finally, we now have Ryan Villalobos in the community, a second degree jiu-jitsu black belt, who is there to break down any of your grappling matches that you want seen to by a second eye. He's currently breaking down videos on a separate Sweet Science of Fighting YouTube channel, and he will break down your video within the community. So if you have a match or a role that you just recorded, you can upload that in there and Ryan will break that down for you. So what are you waiting for? Jump down in the description. You can check out the Sweet Science of Fighting underground. Otherwise, enjoy the podcast. Nice. So obviously with those tests, we see the MMA gloves with less padding, the harder punches. And so we would assume that the bare knuckle would also be harder. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's, it, especially now, I feel like when they first started bare knuckle boxing, I, I don't know that there was that much of a, like a wrap around their mm. wrist. And now when I look at it, That's they're tight, wrapping eh? everything but their yeah. knuckles, right? And you're just like, that's just signing up for more power, right? I mean, they're just unleashing those punches now because they're, like I said, they're not worried as much about injury with everything kind of wrapped up and tight. Nice. So I, I would love to be able to, I, I know that having sensors on the wrist during boxing matches, we've been fortunate enough to be able to do it with some leagues that were, you know, uh, that accepted it and, and they wanted to learn from it. Uh, but you know, it's a psychological thing with fighters too, right? I don't know that I've met a fighter yet that outside of like being around other data scientists or in a, you know, with their coach that wants to have their data captured, hmm. right? Because they're kind of scared of it. And I get that. But, you know, if, a, if an opponent sees your data, that, that doesn't mean that they're going to beat you and they're <laughs> going to be able to train or something, right? I mean, it's just... I don't know. I feel like the, um, you know, the pros outweigh the cons by a mile when yeah. it comes to training with technology. For sure. Uh, and, and I think one of the biggest things is, you know, we're always talking about speed and, and power. What about um, bad habits, right? What if whenever I throw a, a, a cross, I give a tell with my left hand and my left hand is popping or, or if I throw a hook, right? Or what if I throw a combination more often times? Uh, than I think I do, mm -hmm. right? Someone that's watching tape on you is going to see that and they're going to be able to pick it apart and counter from it. But if your coach was picking that up along the way, right, they could eliminate some of these, you know, habits that you take on because that's just something that we all do, especially when we're training, you know, like doing shadow boxing drills or things like that. You kind of get in a flow of doing the same type of punches, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think when it comes to mapping out a training routine, you know, that's a, that's something that's very interesting nice. as well. We actually have, a, we actually have yeah. a question for you from Carlos Sanchez here on, on the live. It might be a good, good plug for strike tech actually, but he's asking how to track if you're making progress and your punching power, if you work out at home. Oh, I think you're 
um, oh. just a little bit. How do you track your punching so progress? How do, you, how do yeah? How do you track your punching power if you work out at home? Uh, well, we have our strike tech sensors. Uh, I, I think that's you know if if you want to go like a super cheap route, you can get a load cell uh, or a force plate and strap it onto a bag, but you're hitting metal. I don't know. I mean, it's it's not that easy. <laughs> that's not to, ideal. Right, a force plate. Um, but sensors, I think, are, are the best best way to do that. Uh, we have a mobile app that that you know the user can go through, and, and and we have it granular level. Like I've seen some of these apps where it's just they give you an overall reading, but we track every single punch that comes through, and so they can they can. We have three different levels of granularity on the on the training stats, right? So we have like a, a basic overview that kind of goes through um, the overall rating and then breaks down speed power uh endurance and then we have a you know our uh, sensors communicate with a, a heart rate monitor uh, we work with polar right now mm-hmm. um and so you can measure your heart rate while you're training as well and so uh and, and then you can break it down into um uh, punch by punch right throughout your training session and then you go down a little step further and you go to the training session and you can break down every single round and list all your punches that you threw every single punch that you threw. Um, so it, it can get quite detailed for sure. Yeah. If you haven't checked out Wizards, I'm going to put it in the chat here for everyone listening. But, you know, I, I brought Wiz on. I mean, I'm typically for, I mean, I, I my data science is pretty horrible, to be honest. But I've had Andrew Usher, who's in the chat there. I've had Seth Linetsky also check this stuff out. Wiz is a wizard with this stuff too. And, the stuff they're doing is completely different to what these other brands are doing. Um, so if you're in the market for boxing sensors, yeah, just uh, when Wes has got it nailed there. So check that out. But regarding the tracking your own progress as well, can you see technique or see technique, um, bad technique, quote unquote, or good technique through maybe some of this data with sensors? You can. Um, and so, one thing that we didn't introduce yet into the app was um, rotational data, right? Is the impact, the, the rotation of the fist during impact. We do capture that, but, you know, you can get into so much detail that it becomes, you know, a bit difficult to understand along the way, right? Um, so technique is a, is a tricky one to kind of, we can collect the data and we can convert the data. It's just putting it in a manner where someone understands yeah. it is the difficult part, right? I think that's probably the most challenging part of any software um, is the user experience and the, and the user interface of it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we can for sure measure, you know, technique. And, and I guess technique is always dependent on, you know, we've kind of experimented with trying to find technique either by someone that you choose, right? So if we have a certain style of uh, boxer or kickboxer or, or uh, Muay Thai fighter, right? They all have a little bit of different technique than the way that they mm-hmm. punch. Um, so if, if someone wants to train like that, you know, we're, we're, we're experimenting with introducing a couple of those to where it compares the user data against so certain that styles. style oh, of punching. Cool. Right, right. So, so that it kind of helps dial you in to... Hey, well, you know, you need to rotate 10 degrees, right? And then it has like a little animation. Uh, we have that on our desktop app. We're going to try to integrate that into the mobile app. Um, it just becomes, I think now the mobile phones that are out are, you know, almost as fast as laptops and computers. Um, I think in the past, the processing, like power of it kind of prevented us from, you know, introducing so many different you know, features in the app, but it's getting to a point to where we can kind of speed that up, uh, especially with AI and predictive, um, you know, analytics and machine learning. Nice. And I know you sent me as well, like some almost like round by round data here. And I'm wondering if this is something that if someone was using strike tech sensors or whatever, if they were, if this, I guess, data would have any value. So you've got like force and speed, average force and speed in round one, round two, round three, and maybe you could see a trend across this. Is this something that someone could use potentially inspiring? to to track progress at all i I know obviously there's a lot of variables in that with you know aspiring is obviously a multifactorial arena so but is there a way like hey you know my average force is you know four weeks later is much higher over the rounds compared to what it previously was or my average speed was higher is that something that could be used for as a progress tracker 
yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, a, I guess it depends on like the goals for that user, right? Um, you know, we have people punch on the bag in low volume and then high volume, right? It's whenever you get into the high volume after 150 punches is when you start deteriorating and, and that's what brings down your average, right? So, you know, you, you just have to analyze the data correctly um, based on what your goals are, right? If you're looking at your overall average and it's 2,000 punches in the database that you're looking at it as, it's going to be harder to bring that number up. You kind of got to go down a little bit, you know, mm. lower level on it to, to analyze it. Interesting. So you could even look at that almost like the threshold of punches it takes for your speed and average force to start to drop. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how we measure, you know, fatigue yeah. and endurance is, um, you know, the goal for us was to figure out at what round does someone kind of start losing momentum. Right. Um, I have a, have a good comparison uh, of um, uh, Stevens and Rosado. I can't remember Stevens, Curtis Stevens and uh, Gabriel uh, Rosado, Rosado, something like that. Um, they fought for uh, BKB. It, it was crazy because every single match that we recorded for them, uh, we could determine who the winner was based on just looking at the analytics quickly, right? And, but we didn't, they didn't reveal all of that stuff to the judges because we didn't, you know, we, that's a whole, that's a whole nother conversation. But, um, in that last fight, uh, Gabriel was the champion and Stevens was challenging for it, but Stevens had, you know, he impacted, he had more damage on Rosado, higher speed still Rosado's, um, speed had gone down quite a bit in the, in the later rounds. And he didn't throw near as many punches. And so, I mean, for us, it was the clear winner of Stevens, but he didn't end up winning it according to the judges. And I, so I remember behind the scenes, everybody was kind of like, this is why you need technology in mm. this sport, right? Mm. It's like, th there's very little requirements to be a judge, right? Or a commissioner for that, for that matter. Um, and, it's, and it's hard to see everything, right? It's, it's like the coaches that say, that they can tell when they're when their athletes hitting harder um, or punching faster. I mean, I get it that they feel like they can, but you know, what if that co coach held mitts, you know, for ten other fighters and maybe they're they had less energy the next day? But you know, there's so many different yeah. variables when it comes to feeling something, right? And you can't see when it when it comes to punching that fast, uh, you, you can't see the difference in a few miles an hour. Right. But that makes a big difference on impact. Mm. So, you know, it's just, it's just not easy to, it's a, not a good thing to gauge visually. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to gauge. Kind of have my brain connected to different things now, but obviously with, with Andrew Usher's new research showing, you know, punch count isn't a indicator of work capacity. So if anyone's familiar, I, I broke down his research paper on the channel last week, I think it was, um, muscles weren't recovering between rounds but punch count stayed the same i'm thinking now with you know obviously that's a harder thing to track for most people you know muscular recovery having to wear moxie sensors and things but if you have a boxing if you have a, a punch sensor maybe like strike tech and you're doing that maybe you could look at you're looking at punch count already but you can actually see speeds drop off um maybe round to round or towards the end of the round indicating fatigue there as well so that yeah you know, that might be a almost like uh a field test of doing it versus having to do it the other way. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. There could be an interesting little application. Yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to punch count, it goes back to like a habit or just like how a person trains, because if they're used to just throwing a certain amount of volume within two or three minutes, mm. they're going to try to continue to do that for as long as they can, as long as they have energy. Right. Because unless they're really, really tired, um, they're not going to sit for 10 seconds without throwing something, mm. right? I mean, it just depends on what kind of fight's going on if it's a boxing match, right? Um, but the speed and the power is a whole different story, right? Because they might not be punching nearly as fast or hitting nearly as hard, but I think it's a, it, it's just a, uh, a training, you know, it's just inside of them of how much, you know, how often to throw a punch whenever they're in the ring, right? 
Um, and that, that's something that you probably just pick up through training. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. I think so. So yeah, I can see, I can see where, you know, punch count isn't as big of a, you know, detector, I guess, as it would be like speed mm -hmm. and, uh, the power of the punch for sure. Yeah. Right. You mentioned actually, with, I was going to say with the, with the judging thing you were talking about there, how you were, how the winner, you know, maintained or had higher force and velocity, et cetera, is doing more damage. Is that something you see as potentially, uh, I guess, an objective way for judges to judge fights? Because obviously damaged, I mean, at least within the UFC, like damage is the number one factor they've, they've made for judging. So, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at damage, you're probably looking at how hard is, are the strikes. And that's probably the only indicator you could do. I mean, I think that's what, you know, that's what classifies damage, yeah. right? Is, is how hard someone was hit. Um, I think that we're trying to introduce technology into a, a, a sport that's been around for a long time that is just about people, you know, uh, you fight just guys fighting, girls fighting, right? And that's kind of a... The, the old school people and the old school way of thinking, we still have a lot of those guys around and uh, especially when it comes to judging and they're just a little bit timid on uh, introducing something that they might not understand. Right. But you know, it's, it's just like, like our parents and then grandparents, they, they used to say that they're, they're not going to text anybody until everybody texts. And it's like, you don't have a choice, right? You got to kind of, you, you got to keep up with technology. I don't see why a big organization. I know that we've we've communicated with the UFC quite a bit. Um, that company now is just so big; it's hard to it's hard to be in the room with the right people at the right time yeah. um, that are all on the same page. Especially when you have that many people running a huge thing like that. Yeah. Uh, so I think it needs to be implemented into the sport. I know that. Uh, I think everywhere except for here, they do open scoring for boxing, right? So that, you know, they reveal the judges score after each round. I know that there was a couple of apps that uh, they were trying to introduce open score, you know, boxing here in the States. And they were just kind of like, they didn't want to change, right? <laughs> I know that they pushed it for years, but the judges and stuff, they just didn't want to change. But I will say that in 2016, I believe it was, um, the Nevada Athletic Commission approved us to use our sensors in a live mm. fight, and it wasn't easy. I, I mean, I remember going there, and, and um, it was a uh, uh, there was like ten news crews there, and it was a uh, and every other commission. I feel like it's easy to just kind of communicate with the commissioner. You can just pop in their office and you know re, you know go through a few things, have a doctor explain some things about the sensors. Um, but at Nevada, they're all attorneys. Right. I mean, it's eight attorneys up there and it's like going into a court hearing where they're all sitting up in front of you. And I was told that I was just going to meet up with them in their office. And then they set me, they, they call me up and I'm, I'm having this hearing. Right. And I'm trying to convince these guys into why they should have allow me to put the sensors in the in the um, or use them during the fight. Right. And, and fortunately, they were open to it and, and it, everything worked out great. Yeah. So. I was kind of, I was, I was happy that they were at least willing to try because at first they just told me no. <laughs> and then one guy, one guy, you know, put his foot down and said, if, if he's willing to, to go out on a limb, he's going to be the one looking bad. If it's a, you know, if it's a joke out there, he goes, let him, let him try. And so then they all kind of jump, but it just, it just goes to show you, like if, if you can get a couple of people in there that are pro tech, you know, technology and, and kind of evolving, the sport, then I, I think it's good news for everybody. Yeah. And I know yeah, and Josh has chimed in again on the chat. He's very excited about what we we're talking about before regarding looking at punches thrown with your strike tech technology, along with muscle, muscle oxygenation at that point where you start to see that fatigue comparing punch kinetics and oxygen kinetics simultaneously. So effective punches quantifying what they are, et cetera. I mean, obviously the PhD hasn't beaten Andrew down yet. He's still excited about <laughs> collecting more data. So, so that's a good sign, but, is this is some of this or is a lot of this i guess transferable to kicking as well i mean you can't just place the strike the sensors on your legs i'm assuming because obviously the app is algorithm is based on a punch but would that be something you're looking to at in the future or is that something you can do now yeah oh, okay. we can do it now okay. um it's not it's not specific 
for a punch until it comes to deep to, to the technique. Gotcha. Right. But that's something that you can just, um, you can learn, you, you can just write some algorithms for the app to understand what, you know, rotation, um, what acceleration should be in place for a certain technique. Right. And, you know, we have a, we have a skill level in our, in our app too, which kind of, uh, allows us to assess the fighter because I know when we talked about effective mass, right? If you have an exact clone of yourself, one of you guys have been training for 10 years, one has never thrown a punch in his life, but you guys have exactly the same measurements, who's going to punch harder, mm -hmm. right? Clearly the person who's been training for 10 mm -hmm. years, right? So, but there are characteristics about that person, their punch that are different a lot different than this punch from the guy who's never punched anything. Right. And, and those are the things that we take into consideration and whenever we're assigning someone essentially an effective mass, mm -hmm. right. It's, it's, Hey, we need to look at what their acceleration looked like to impact. And you can't do it just off of one punch, right? The more punches you put into the system becomes a better, you know, it, it's a better detection of the skill level of that particular user. Yeah. Right. Um, and that was kind of hard to develop along the way, but I think that's kind of the only way to really get consistency and and measuring the uh, force of a punch. Nice. Do, do the same, I guess, principles apply? For example, you mentioned the initial acceleration of the punch being the most important part of it. Does that the same apply for the kick as well then? Hey guys, it's me again. I just wanted to let you know that I also have Sweet Times of Fighting rash guards and shorts, so you can represent Sweet Times of Fighting on the mats and within competition. We have the classic, just like the shirt I'm wearing, rash guard, Sweet Science of Fighting on the front, and we have the logos on the sleeves, and then X-Marsh on the back. We also have that in a shorts variation, same thing, with the Sweet Science of Fighting writing on one leg, and we have the logo on the other. But my personal favorite, this is my personal favorite part. We have this in black and white. And it is the Tani Fark Protector Guardian version of the Sweet Science of Fighting with the logo on the back. This was designed by a Māori designer back in New Zealand. So a bit of my heritage on this jersey. It represents the acknowledgement of battle and war. It also represents strength and stability and also has the New Zealand silver fern. But even if you're not a Kiwi, cop this. This is an awesome design. It is a custom made design. You will not find it anywhere else. So check that, that'll also be down in the description with a discount code, but back to the podcast. I think it's, as long as you can, it's the fast twitch muscle fibers, right? I mean, that really engaging into the movement as quickly as you can will always yield higher results than moving slowly <laughs> into it, right? Because there's just so much you have to make up for when you start off slow. Um, and so, I, I mean, it's essentially the same principles. You're just, you know, accelerating your leg a lot further along than yeah. you are your punches, um, which, you know, I, I, do you remember the show Fight Science? Uh, kind of. It's been a while. It was, there was a TV show on, uh, I think, National Geographic a long time ago. It was called Fight Science. And they analyzed, like, Boss Rutten punching a dummy hmm. and, and you know, rupturing its liver or something. It, it was just kind of... It was crazy, kind of the stuff that they did. But they had martial arts, martial artists on there from different um, uh, places around the world, really. And they were measuring kicks, but they put a, a sensor on a bag that had a spring on it, and it would go back and forth, right? And so uh, we worked with uh, Cindy Burr, who was on the uh, engineering team there, who kind of put everything together. Uh, but they made a lot of mistakes that, you know, they kind of just whipped that thing together quickly for entertainment value, but they were trying to, they, they came out and said that there was people that were kicking 150 miles an hour. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, there's no way, right? Like you just can't even, you can't come close to that. Right. And I think whenever we started showing how fast people punch, uh, even for the broadcast, right. Cause they're trying to, they're trying to sell entertainment and then tell a story mm. as well. Right. And so whenever we would tell them, Hey, well, you know, 30 miles an hour is a fast, fast punch, right? And they're like, well, why? I mean, if someone throws a baseball, it's 90 miles an hour. And I said, well, that's that baseball is accelerating a lot longer than the punch is, right? But if you think, and so we started measuring uh, the hand speed of baseball players, pitchers, right? 
And so you have more than double the extension, but even at a, like we measured a guy that threw 98 miles an hour, his hand speed was uh, 31 miles an hour, mm -hmm. the baseball pitcher, right? Now you take a boxer and he's not stretching and reaching back, mm -hmm. right? This boxer is, is accelerating from zero to 30 miles an hour just in front of him. I mean, that's a lot faster than the pitcher's arm, mm -hmm. right? So it's all, it's all about just, you know, I think telling that story is what we were trying to, you know, accomplish along the way when we had these on the, on the big screen. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just going to take more time in the seat, right? How do you see, how do you see AI getting more into this, this combat sports analysis? I know I, I, I emailed you one a little while ago. I don't know if you saw it. Um, that basically, yeah, that basically breaking down like a whole fight with AI and be able to punch count all sorts of things on there. Um, what's your take on, yeah. on that and the future of the things being used? Yeah, we're working. We, we have some of that technology as nice. well. Um, just motion tracking, object tracking. Uh, and I think it, pe it pairs well with our sensors. Uh, so my, you know, cause we have a couple of, we have a cool little, um, uh, feature in our app that allows you to record yourself while you're working out. And then you have like a video overlay of the speed of the punch and the power mm. of the punch. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of, you can save that video or you can, take screen grabs from the video and it just kind of gives a, a cool little shareable picture with the overlay on it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, we just have a, there, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in the market. <laughs> um, with AI, I think that, uh, I think it's going to help. I hope there's no resistance from the judges, right. And the commissioners, yeah. um, I, I think if they would just embrace it, that, you know, they could be a part of it as well. Um, you know, cause we're not here to make them look like they don't do a job. Well, we still want them to be in charge, right? AI is not just here to take over everybody's job. It's here to mm. assist. And, I mean, that's the way that I look at it. Um, but yeah, the, the motion tracking is, is really been advanced, uh, especially with a couple of these companies like, um, open AI, yeah. uh, you know, they're, they're just moving it along quickly, but they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars in, into those yeah. things. Right. So I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nah, We're excited. Yeah, I, think, I think that's everything I've got for you uh, today, Wes, but where can people find you and uh, keep up with what you're doing? Yeah. So, so we're, I'm at strike tech on all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, you know, for a while there, we kind of laid low on that because we were working. Uh, on the back end with, you know, we worked with uh, Bally's Fight Night and a couple of other organizations. Uh, and so now we're, we're starting to kind of get back into the content sharing. Uh, but striketech.com um, and uh, I'm, I'm at Strike Tech across all the different social media channels. We'll link those up in the in the description. So whether you're listening to Spotify, Apple, YouTube, whatever it is, it'll be down there for you to check out. But thanks for coming on, Wes. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me.